0: If you're a parent studying this chapter so that you can effectively lead family devotions later today, you may want to spend some extra time pressing this lesson home upon your children because it's very different than what they hear at school, Uh, what they hear from the culture generally, depending on where they go to school. But this is a, a very common notion in the culture that if you have a feeling, you should express it. The bigger the feeling, the more urgent the need to express it. But here the Bible is saying just because an emotion is real or justified does not mean that there is wisdom in expressing it. It's okay to have an unmanifested feeling. We give far too much authority to our feelings in contemporary culture, and we practice far too little discernment with respect to the expression of those feelings. Sometimes wisdom means talking back to your feelings. Sometimes you have to ask questions. Why do I feel this way? Is what I'm feeling reasonable? Am I being selfish? Am I being petty? Would it be better in the long run just to forget this incident and move on? Not everything has to be processed. We don't actually always need closure. As the Apostle Paul asks in 1 Corinthians 6-7, why not rather suffer wrong? Sometimes giving full vent to your feelings and conducting an exhaustive audit of your situation does you more harm than good. Now listen, you can't always eat it and you should not always eat it. But sometimes you should. A wise person understands when and why
1: that is. Welcome to Into the Word with Paul Carter. I'm your host, Woody Woodland. This chapter is filled with practical wisdom that moms and dads would be wise to pass on to their children. We've got advice on working hard, speaking carefully, and managing our emotions. Here to tell us more about that is our Bible teacher at Into the Word, Pastor Paul Carter. Your
0: word
1: is a lamp unto my feet.
0: If you have your Bible with you, I'd love for you to open it now to Proverbs chapter 12. Most commentators understand the Proverbs in this chapter as having been laid out in a largely random fashion. Bruce Walker perceives two subunits here verses 1 to 14, having generally to do with speech, and then verses 15 to 28, having generally to do with deeds. Once again, we'll notice the dominance of the two ways or two choices metaphor throughout. Now, given the nature of this material and the time parameters we're trying to observe here at the end of the Word, I'll try and focus my explanations and expansions where they are most needed. Hear now the Word of the Lord, beginning at verse 1. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. So here again, we have a fairly stark contrast One can choose humility and openness to correction and discipline, or one can be arrogant and refuse all instruction. One way is wise, and one way is stupid. Now, polite Christians will often balk at the use of that term, but it is never wise, nor is it required for anyone to be more civilized than the Bible. The Bible does not consider it helpful or loving to obscure the truth. And the truth is that some behaviors are dehumanizing and should be rebuked and called out as such. What the sage is saying here is that a human being does not come preloaded with everything he or she needs to be successful in life. To receive that additional content, you have to be humble and willing to learn. If you are, then you will continue to grow An increase in your capacity. If you are not, then you will slowly but surely descend to the level of the beasts. That's literally what the word stupid means. The Hebrew word used here means to behave like a dumb animal. It means literally to be stupid, brutish, or foolish. That's from the dictionary. So the Bible has a category for that kind of behavior, and so should we. Matthew Henry commenting on the King James version of this verse says here, he that hates reproof is not only foolish, but brutish like the horse and the mule that have no understanding or the ox that kicks against the goad, closed quote. So if you want to live like an animal, then decide that you know everything there is to know. Decide that you don't ever need to be shown how to do anything. Every time someone tries to teach you something, just say quickly, oh, I know, I know, I know. Now, of course, you don't know, and because you were offended by the suggestion that you didn't know, you never will know, and you'll die as ignorant and stupid as the day you were born. Or you could be wise. You could say humbly, show me that again, and and thanks for that, and thereby set yourself up for further instruction and rapid growth in skill and knowledge. As always, the choice is up to you. But just remember, as Derek Kidner reminded us, choices ripen into character and so into destiny. Now, listen, parents, I realize as you uh, teach this material and maybe even play this podcast episode to your children, you may need to debrief them why the Bible uses a word that perhaps you have taught them not to use. And you can tell them that this is not a word that you should throw out as an insult. This is a category you should be aware of as a young person. There is a way to be stupid. There is a way to be brutish. And that way is to ignore and reject the instruction and improvement that your creator has made available to you. Don't do that. Maybe don't use the word when you're talking to your friends and and, and playmates at school. Sure, but be aware of this category because being aware of it is part of what will make you wise and successful. Verse 2, a good man obtains favor from the Lord, but a man of evil devices he condemns. Here we're reminded that God is no passive observer of the human experience. He's an active participant. God enters the game and puts his thumb on the scale in favor of those who do good. He works actively to achieve the downfall of the schemer. And of course, Whatever God works at, he achieves. So the man of evil devices will be condemned, either in this life or the next. Verse 3. No one is established by wickedness, but the root of the righteous will never be moved. Here we return to one of the main themes in the book of Proverbs, which is the long-term stability of the righteous. Tremper Longman III says here, those who act wickedly will not have stable lives, but those who are righteous will. People perform wicked acts to get ahead in life, he puts in brackets here, steal money, cheat others, lie to cover their tracks, close bracket. But according to the sages, these acts do not lead to stability, but to trouble. Wickedness complicates life by making it tumultuous, closed quote. Long-term stability in this life and the next is achieved through wise action, wise action rooted in the fear of the Lord. You could almost call that the theme of the book of Proverbs as a whole. Verse 4, an excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she who brings shame is like rottenness in his bones. Now, this is the one-sentence version of the principle that is expounded at greater length in Proverbs 31. The fact that this theme receives so much attention in the book of Proverbs suggests to some that the original anthology was presented to the royal son prior to his engagement, the objective being to help the son make a wise choice in terms of his future bride. Now, of course, we're not sure exactly how much input a royal son would have on the choice of a bride. It does seem that while marriages were suggested and arranged by parents, the children did often have a sort of right of refusal. And thus it may be true that the wise father here is speaking into his son's sense of priority. And wise fathers today ought to do the same. I think it would be fair to say that a young man often prioritizes physical appearance too highly. And so we notice here that actually very little is said about that in the father's counsel to the son, here or in Proverbs 31. Much more is said about her wisdom, her industry, her character, and the value that she brings to the household. A wise son is going to think about those things because a wife is forever and beauty tends to fade rather fast. So a good parent then and now is encouraging his or her child to think broadly about the things that make for a happy and stable marriage. Verse 5. The thoughts of the righteous are just. The counsels of the wicked are deceitful. The word translated there as thoughts refers to plans and intentions. The idea then is that people's plans are an extension of their inner life. Derek Kidner gives this proverb the heading, As the man, so the policy. Close quote. I think that's exactly right. Verse 6, the words of the wicked lie in wait for blood, but the mouth of the upright delivers them. The Hebrew here is very vivid. The first half of verse 6 is literally, the words of the wicked are an ambush of blood. Close quote. The focus here obviously is on outcome. Wicked words lead to violence and death, whereas the words of the righteous deliver them. Verse 7, The wicked are overthrown and are no more, but the house of the righteous will stand. Again, that's another way of stating one of the primary themes in the book of Proverbs, which has to do with the long-term stability of personal righteousness. Verse 8. A man is commended according to his good sense, but one of twisted mind is despised. Now, ancient Israel, like most eastern nations, even still today, was an honor and shame culture. Here the father is pointing out that honor comes to the person of good sense, whereas shame comes to the one whose mind and thinking are chaotic. Verse nine, better to be lowly and have a servant than to play the great man and lack bread. The Tyndale Old Testament commentary offers a slightly better or at least more understandable translation here. They have verse nine as better is a man of humble standing who works for himself than one who plays the great man, but lacks bread, close quote. The idea here then is that it's better to be humble, hardworking, and honest. We would say better to be a middle-class person than to maintain an appearance of wealth and fame when actually you've gone bankrupt, right? Aim for substance, aim for reality, aim for stability, that's the main idea here. Verse 10, whoever is righteous has regard for the life of his beast, but the mercy of the wicked is cruel. I remember seeing a meme a while ago that said something to the effect of, in hell, God will treat you the way you treated your animals. Now, obviously, I'm not sure that's true in any sense, but it does mirror the essential message of this proverb, which seems to be saying that God cares how we treat the creatures that have been entrusted to us. A righteous person is gentle with his beast. I read once that after the Welsh revival, the mules that had been used in the mines were no longer responsive to the miners because they were completely unused to kindness. Once the miners were converted, they no longer had the heart to beat the mules. And and so they had to learn a whole new way of communicating with their animals. That's a good problem. Righteous people learn to manage their animals without brutality. I find myself very glad that this verse is in the Bible. Verse 11. Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. This, of course, is another common theme in Proverbs, the benefit of hard work. The inventor and entrepreneur Thomas Edison said famously, opportunity is missed by most people because it is dressed in overalls and looks like hard work. (laughs) He's also credited as saying, genius is 1% inspiration and 99% perspiration. The point is that there's no success without hard work. Don't be afraid of it. Lean into it. It's not going to kill you. In fact, as the wise father says here, it will feed you and your family and probably a host of other people beside. God has wired the world to respond generously to hard, honest labor. So get out there and do it. Verse 12, whoever is wicked covets the spoil of evildoers, but the root of the righteous bears fruit. Now, the correct translation of this verse is somewhat disputed by Hebrew scholars. Some think the first half would be better translated, the foundation of evil men is destroyed. And that would balance better with the second half of the verse, which says, but the root of the righteous bears fruit. The idea seems to be that foundation matters, And. As a New Testament believer, that certainly makes sense to me. If you build your life on the rock, then you will prosper and be secure. But if you build your life on the sand, then you will be swept away. If Solomon isn't saying it here, then the greater than Solomon definitely said it in Matthew 7. So one way or another, it is definitely and reliably true. Verse 13, an evil man is ensnared by the transgression of his lips but the righteous escapes from trouble. This is another expansion on the theme that wicked speech is a threat, but righteous speech is a defense. Verse 14. From the fruit of his mouth, a man is satisfied with good, and the work of a man's hand comes back to him. The meaning here is simply that there are consequences for how we speak and act. Good words and good works tend to result in good fruit. Now, as I mentioned above, some commentators see a loose division between the first half of the chapter and the second half, with the first half dealing generally with speech and then the second half dealing generally with action, with verse 14 functioning as a sort of hinge. Now, I'm not sure that works for all the proverbs we've looked at in the first half, but it definitely applies to some and it clearly applies to the last two. As to whether the second half of the chapter generally addresses the matter of action, I'll leave you to judge that for yourself. Verse 15. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. This verse shares obvious similarities with verse 1. What we said there can equally be applied here. Verse 16. The vexation of a fool is known at once, but the prudent ignores an insult. If you're a parent studying this chapter so that you can effectively lead family devotions later today, you may want to spend some extra time pressing this lesson home upon your children because it's very different than what they hear at school, Uh, what they hear from the culture generally, depending on where they go to school. But this is a, a very common notion in the culture that if you have a feeling, you should express it. The bigger the feeling, the more urgent the need to express it. But here the Bible is saying just because an emotion is real or justified, does not mean that there is wisdom in expressing it. It's okay to have an unmanifested feeling. We give far too much authority to our feelings in contemporary culture, and we practice far too little discernment with respect to the expression of those feelings. Sometimes wisdom means talking back to your feelings. Sometimes you have to ask questions. Why do I feel this way? Is what I'm feeling reasonable? Am I being selfish? Am I being petty? Would it be better in the long run just to forget this incident and move on? Not everything has to be processed. We don't actually always need closure. As the Apostle Paul asks in 1 Corinthians 6-7, why not rather suffer wrong? Sometimes giving full vent to your feelings and conducting an exhaustive audit of your situation Does you more harm than good. Now listen, you can't always eat it, and you should not always eat it, but sometimes you should. A wise person understands when and why that is. Verse 17 Whoever speaks the truth gives honest evidence, but a false witness utters deceit. It's never a good idea to lie in court. That's an, an important lesson for you to press, impress upon your children. Just tell the truth, even to your own harm. Remember, all lesser court decisions are reviewed by the all-seeing and all-knowing judge on the last day. So nobody gets away with anything. You might get away with a lie in the short term. You probably won't, but you might. But nobody gets away with anything on the last day. And as we've said a few times before, and as we'll say a few times more before, we're through the book of Proverbs, wisdom is about playing the long game. Verse 18, there is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Now we've seen a few Proverbs depicting wicked words as a sort of weapon and a threat And usually those sayings are paired with something about how the words of the righteous are a defense. But here, that same principle is being ratcheted up. Not only are the words of the wise a defense against the harm of the wicked, but, properly applied, they are also a salve. Listen, it's a tremendous blessing in a church to have a few people who are skilled in giving wise counsel. Job certainly lamented the absence of such people when he was going through his valley of despair. The poor theology and rigid worldview of his three friends resulted in their bringing further harm and injury to him, as opposed to the healing that is spoken about here. To have wise, faithful, thoughtful Bible readers and wisdom curators in your church is a tremendous blessing, particularly to hurting people. If you're in a position of leadership, do whatever you can to encourage the development and training of such people, for the words of the wise bring healing. Thanks be to God. Verse 19, truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. Again, long-term stability is found in righteousness and truth, whereas those who depart from these things will eventually perish. Play the long game. Verse 20, Deceit is in the heart of those who devise evil, but those who plan peace have joy. This proverb is making the same point that was made in verse 5, which could argue against Walkie's suggested arrangement. Everything that was said there could equally be applied here, with the addition here that the policies of the good man or woman bring joy, presumably to him or herself and also to others. Verse 21, no ill befalls the righteous but the wicked are filled with trouble. While acknowledging the general truth at the heart of this proverb, Tremper Longman III goes on to say, However, anyone with a modicum of life experience realizes that this cannot be taken as an ironclad promise, nor can it be used as a barometer of righteousness of other people in the way that the three friends of Job so used it quote. That's a good reminder. We're supposed to read Proverbs in conversation with Job and Ecclesiastes. Generally speaking, Proverbs focuses on the matter of design. The world is wired to reward the righteous and to punish the wicked, so verse 21 is true in that sense. However, it must be read in conversation with the book of Job, which explores the matter of dark providence. Sometimes the believer is caught up in purposes of judgment or redemption that temporarily distort or obscure the normal working of things. Ecclesiastes must also be consulted as it explores the tension between what ought to be and what is in a fallen world, groaning under the influence of the curse and longing for the renewal and restoration of all things. You get ridiculous errors like the prosperity gospel when you camp out in one verse while shutting your ears to countless others. A wise person listens to the whole conversation before attempting a summary. Verse 22 Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are his delight. This verse is a logical complement to verse 19. We might combine them and say that because lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, they will not endure. Whereas because faithfulness is his delight, the truth speaker will endure forever. Verse 23, a prudent man conceals knowledge, but the heart of fools proclaims folly. This proverb is a cousin to the one we met in verse 16. Just as it is wise to exercise some management over your feelings, so too it is wise to be discreet with your thoughts. It's okay not to play the game of life with all your cards face up on the table. A wise person keeps some things close to the vest. In an age obsessed with authenticity and total transparency and living life online, This proverb brings some much-needed correction. A little privacy and discretion is a good thing. So, just like it's okay to have an unexpressed feeling, we need our kids to understand, it's also okay to have an unverbalized thought. Verse 24, The hand of the diligent will rule, while the slothful will be put to forced labor. Here again, we see the wise father revisiting a common theme. He wants his son to understand that he who does his homework rules the world. Effort now, reward later. That's how the universe is wired. If you figure that out, young son, daughter, the world is truly your oyster. Verse 25, anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. Here we have a lovely little reminder about the positive impact of, of verbal encouragement. Parents, we need to understand that our words have the power of life and death in them. Now, of course, this doesn't mean that we never bring correction to bear upon our kids. Of course, we do. And of course, our children must be wise enough to receive that. See verse 1 and verse 15. But we must be wise enough to know how much correction any child can bear. And we must be careful to complement our words of correction with an appropriate ratio of encouragement and praise. That's true for parents, and that's true for all people. Listen, we're living in uncertain times, and leadership in the future will be exercised by those who are characterized by a non-anxious presence. People who understand, people who see the whole board, people who provide wise counsel and faithful encouragement. Be that kind of person and you'll be a blessing to your children and to many more besides. On that note, verse 26 says, one who is righteous is a guide to his neighbor, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. So here we're reminded that whether you're wise or foolish, whether you are righteous or wicked, will affect not just yourself, but all those you have influence over. We are social creatures, and we cannot help but encourage or discourage, enlighten or confuse, edify or mislead, the people around us, which is why heaven wouldn't be heaven without a final separation. Jesus in Matthew 13, verses 40 to 43, says, Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all law breakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Close quote. That word then there really matters. The righteous will not, the righteous cannot shine like the sun if he or she is surrounded by foolish and wicked people. We are influenced by others. We are not our best when we are wrestling with the negative influence of other people. That's an aspect of human nature. We are social creatures. We're nowhere near as independent in our thinking and acting as we would like to think. Verse 27. Whoever is slothful will not roast his game, but the diligent man will get precious wealth. The basic idea here is that the lazy person will do nothing to improve upon their resources. They won't even cook what they catch. Whereas in contrast, the diligent person makes precious wealth. He takes what he has and improves it. Verse 28. In the path of righteousness is life, and in its pathway there is no death. This verse could serve as a summary statement for any number of chapters or for the book of Proverbs as a whole. There is a path that leads to life. Those who are wise walk faithfully
1: upon it. Thanks be to God. Yes, amen to that. There is a path that leads to life, and that's a path that all of us as parents are eager to see our children finding and following. That was a longer chapter, but was filled with practical guidance and inspired instruction. As always, friends, if you are looking for more Bible teaching from Pastor Paul, you can find that over at the Into the Word website at intotheword.ca. Or you can download the Into the Word app at the iTunes Store or on Google Play, You can also connect with Pastor Paul and with other Bible readers on the Into the Word Facebook page. Just enter Into the Word into the search bar. And we'll see you right back here next Sunday morning as we continue our journey together through the whole counsel of God. We'll see you then. Your word is a lamp unto my feet.